First Timothy chapter 3. I preached Wednesday night out of 1 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 14, 15, and 16. It says, These things write I unto thee, sh- uh, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. When I preached Wednesday night, largely what I was trying to deal with was the idea that the church, what the church is, it's trying to deal with the identity of the church and that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is not... Uh, you could fill in the blank. I'm, I'm not going to try and stand here and think of things to fill in the blank with. But what the church is in its, in its base form is it is a beacon of God's light. It's, a, it's the pillar and ground of the truth. I can't think of a better way to say it than Paul's already said it. And when we lose our focus from that, uh, we begin to slip into apostasy. When when we begin to take the church and try to make it about something that it is not, you, you might as well just close the doors down and go to the Methodist church or go to one of these Southern Baptist churches. Amen? Amen. And I just tell you this morning, I'm, I'm committed to the best of my ability. I'm committed to the, letting the Lord have his way in this church in letting it be the pillar and ground of the truth. And if that makes folks mad, if that really hurts your feelings, then I, all I can think of to say is that you're in the wrong church. Now, now, having said that, I'm not trying to run people off. We've been through this before. But I'm not, I'm not interested in just jumping out into the forefront and seeing who, who can I make mad in this service. But at the same time, I certainly I don't have the right I do not have the right that when I say something and get some kind of reaction that's negative or positive for that matter, I don't have the right to retreat back into my little hole and say, well, maybe I didn't handle that right. Because the truth is the truth, and that's what we do. And the moment that we shift, the moment that we shift from letting the church be the pillar and ground of the truth to letting it be a place where, quote-unquote, people can feel comfortable or people can get acceptance, we've lost our way. And it, it won't be but a couple of weeks before you start having folks fill the church that want to bring in, you name it, girls dancing around in yoga pants. Which, if you're wearing yoga pants in public, you, you at your house and it's you and your husband, I hope none of you fellas are wearing yoga pants. But anyways, you never know these days. But if, if you're wearing yoga pants out in public, I mean, if you're wearing them at your house and, and it's just you and your husband, if it's you and your kids, that's a bad idea. I know, I know a, lot of, a lot of ladies do that. I'd be very careful about that. But nonetheless, if it's you and your husband at home, that's y'all's business. But you wear them out in public, that's not, that's not the light that God was talking about when he said, let your light so shine before men. That's your tail light. That's not the one the Lord's talking about. And so cover up. Amen. Amen. You wonder why. This has not really a whole lot to do with the sermon, but 
or the Sunday school lesson, you wonder why teenage girls and even younger girls have such a problem with modesty. It's because their mamas have set the example. Jezebel, you, you wear something that's so, that clings so tight to your ear, and then you wonder why your kid wants to prance around in public in a two-piece bikini. You taught them it was okay. It's right nonetheless. Quit it. Just, just quit that stuff. And so I'm not, I'm not, you can't, we can't take a church and make it to, into a place where, oh man, can't, can't hurt nobody's feelings or, well, we've just got to be cautious. We've got to be careful about hurting people's feelings. No, you've got to be careful about not living a wicked life. That's what you have to be careful about. And if you're doing it, stop it. You just stop. And if that tramples on your feelings or that tramples on your mama and daddy's feelings, then it's just going to have to do so. I was uh, thinking, I've been thinking all this past week, which is never safe. But nonetheless, I've, I've been thinking this past week, you know, we had, a, had a, an individual come to this church several weeks ago on Sunday morning, and I'm not even going to try and point out where they sat because you probably know who it is, but I, I preached on homosexuals. I, I really laid into this thing on homosexuals. And that individual, you could just about see that they were about to lose their mind. And so the next week or the week after, I, they came back, and I didn't say anything about it, not because I was trying to hide from them, but I just, you know, Lord didn't really open up the opportunity for me to say something about it. So I didn't say nothing. Glued. Glued into the service, paying attention, hanging on to every word. Came back the next week after that, same thing. I didn't say nothing about homosexuals. Glued. And then they haven't been back since. You say, what do you take from that? I take from that that homosexuals are not the problem. The problem is, is that people are going to get out based on what's in their heart regardless of what you preach about. I, I, was, I was a young, younger fellow. I'm still a young man now. Amen. But anyways, uh, I was a younger fellow and I was preaching at a, or I was attending a youth camp out in uh, Pell City, Alabama. Brother Mark's former pastor, Brother David Wood. And uh, Brother David Wood, if you've ever heard him preach, he'll skin your hide. It's wonderful. But anyways, so I was, I, he was preaching, and he, and he laid into a couple of things really hard, and I had preached at this youth, youth camp that week. And I was just talking to him. I was a young guy trying to learn some things and just picking his brain. I, I recommend if you're a young fellow, there's not a whole lot of young fellows in here. I mean, of course, my age. But nonetheless, I recommend picking the brains of older folks. You don't know everything. And when you pick their brain, take their advice. Take their advice. I said, I said, when you preach, I said, man, you preach real hard. And I said, you're not afraid of running off any young Christians? He said, absolutely not. He said, the young Christians are never the ones that get upset over hard preaching. He said, they're always the ones that are asking for more. He said, the people that get upset about it are the folks that have been saved for 10, 15, 20 years, and ain't doing nothing. And so, so when, you, when you let the church be what it is, the pillar and ground of the truth, what that does is that drives, it, dry, it, it draws a line in the sand and it, and it polarizes people. It makes people get on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, it's a sifter. It's a sifter. You know, you pour wheat into a sifter and you shake that thing 
I say wheat flour, you pour wheat uh, flour into a sifter and you, you shake that thing and the stuff begins to fall through. Well, if there's any kind of trash in that thing, all that trash remains behind. Well, that's what the truth does. And so when you preach the truth and preach the truth and when you tell people the truth in your own personal life, you talk about the truth for long enough, you're quickly going to figure out where people stand. That's what the church does. The church's responsibility is to throw the truth out consistently, constantly, and it's to show sinners you're standing in the wrong spot, you need to get on God's side. It's to show backslidden Christians you're standing in the wrong spot, you need to get on God's side. It's to show Christians that are right with God, hey, you're in the right spot, keep going. That's why Christians that are right with God listen to a fellow that's preaching straight and preaching hard, and they go, praise the Lord. They don't get their drawers in a wad. That's right. That's right. So talking about this thing of the, the church being the pillar and ground of the truth, one of the things that he puts out is he says in verse 14, he says, these things write I unto thee shortly, or, or these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Well, what things is he writing? Well, he's writing to Timothy, listen, if you're going to set pastors over this place, if you're going to set pastors in this church, this is the kind of people that they have to be. It's not open to just whoever wants to be in there. Want is part of it. This is a true saying, verse 1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Want is certainly part of the equation. But after that, you have a list of things to where a bishop then must be. And I've heard all kinds of preachers try to explain those words away. A bishop then must be. But you're not going to get around the, the plain English that says, if you want to be a bishop, this is the way you have to be. It's a matter of character. It's a matter of character. We'll get into that here in just a second, I think, if I can get some momentum and start moving on. But I've heard preachers say, well, man, you, you don't know anybody that's ever been blameless. Well, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. I do know somebody that's been blameless. I, can, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count, on, to count the number of people that I know that have been blameless. I'll, I'll tell you somebody who was blameless, Paul the Apostle. He said himself, he said, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I just don't know that any man can be blameless. That's because your standards are too low. It's because you live like a scallywag. Raise your standards, sucker. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Bring them up. You can be blameless. And we, we're going to go through here, I think, all these things. Not all today, but a bishop then must be. It's not an option. You say, well, I'm a bishop right now. Or if you get into the position to where you're ever a bishop... A pastor, and you get into the position where you're a pastor and your life doesn't measure up, you say, what should I do? Well, get those things in order as quickly as you can. And if you can't, step down. That's the right thing to do. And I'm not really trying to hone in today on the, on the issue of the qualifications, although those are important. What I'm trying to get you to understand starting this morning is the reason why it's so important, why Paul gives these qualifications. It's a matter of character. So 
I got ahead of myself there a little bit. He says, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. When you come into the midst of the assembly, when you come into the midst of the congregation, there is a particular way that you're supposed to behave your, yourself. And I don't know how you're accustomed to behaving yourself down at your house, but I can just tell you this morning, some folks that come to this church, your behavior standards are way too low for, the, for how to conduct yourself here in the house of God. And I'm going to just tell you, you need to raise them up. Increase them. Amen. Uh, if you don't have any standards about how you should behave in the house of God, borrow some of mine. Yes, sir. There's plenty, there's plenty of folks in here that have some standards about uh, how to conduct themselves in the house of God. And I said it on Wednesday night. I understand that this building per se per se, is not the house of God. But I'm not going to take away from the sanctity of this building. This, has a, this building has a specific purpose. Because of that, don't let your kids throw trash in the floor. Amen. It bothers me, man. Some, some of you older, older kids, man, you're throwing trash in the floor. Oh, he's just fussing. Of course I'm fussing. Amen. That's ridiculous. I, I, guess, I guess the reason that you come to the house of God and throw your trash in the floor is because you do that at home. This is not your house. You don't live here. If you can't pick up your trash, then I don't know what to tell you. Bring a trash can with you and set it down by your seat or quit eating candy in the services. While we're on that, let me say this. This is not a bar. The church is not a bar. No food and drinks that you see. You, you got a medical problem that requires you to have water. I understand. You see how tight it gets in, in a situation like that? I don't care. Get over it. I understand preachers, you know, sometimes my mouth gets dry. It's because I drink too much coffee. I got to get a handle on that. That's right. You get dehydrated, got to drink some water. But I understand if you need something to drink, something to wet your whistle, you're singing and all that, bring some water. Quit bringing in Coca-Cola's and iced tea. You don't need that stuff in here. Oh, I just I don't think you have any right to tell us what to do. I, I think I do. And if you don't like it, find another church where they'll let you treat it like a bar. The next thing you know, you'll be drinking beer at your seat while the preacher's preaching. Smoking dope. Help yourself, man. That's the kind of life you that's the kind of church you want to go to. Help yourself. I just don't understand what all these rules are for. Don't you have rules around your house? Well, if you don't have no rules around your house, your kids will just do whatever the blazes. Oh, th they do do whatever the blazes they want to do, don't they? That's because you ain't got no rules. So when you come to the house of God, there's a specific way that you're supposed to behave yourself. But it's true nonetheless. You ain't got a verse of Scripture for it. You ain't got a verse of Scripture against it. Just shut your mouth, man. You don't know. You don't know. I, it, it amazes me, man. It amazes me the number of people that know how to pastor a church and have never pastored. Shut up. Just shut your mouth. You don't know. Well, I got the Bible. Yeah, but you ain't got no insight. You could. But you don't want to do what you're told. You don't want to submit to nobody. Listen, when your kids come in here and treat those little pockets on the back of the pews like trash cans, we got a problem. They're not trash cans. They're not storage 
facilities. You want to start storing your stuff in there, the church will start charging you rent. Amen. Amen. And while we're on that, I'm going to just rant a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. Because I'm going to do it anyway. The church is not a storage facility either. You bring something here. We got the fellowship all torn apart. We got a bunch of stuff sitting over next door. That's because we're working over there. And all of those of you folks that have let us borrow your tools, I appreciate it. I got to get you your flamethrower back. Don't let me. Don't don't leave today without getting that because I think we're done with that. I about lit the fellowship hall on fire. <laughs> not not good. It's time for me to give it back and get rid of it. But you know, folks bring stuff to the church. They bring stuff to the church building and leave it here and then just let it sit here and forget it's here and then when somebody wants to move it or do something with it you get upset about it then take it home as far as I'm concerned if something's sitting around my house somebody let me borrow something they forgot it's there and I mean you ain't asked for it in a year and a half as far as I'm concerned, it's mine. You leave something sitting around here for a year and a half and I throw it away and you come yanging at me, I'm going to treat you like a fly on my pudding. You don't worry about that mess. Amen. Amen. This is a church. And we've, we've got to get our eyes set back on the thing that we're here for. It's for the truth. And I'm not going to, we, we can't afford, we can't afford for me, we can't really afford for you to dance around the truth at the expense of making somebody, you know, not, of trying not to make somebody mad. I really wish with all my heart everybody would love everything that's preached, but they don't. Boy, they just don't. And they will let you know. I wish everybody agreed with the decisions that I make in a church. But they don't. And they let you know. Don't they? Why did it get so quiet there? You deal with it, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you got... Anyways, there's a certain manner of behavior. Let me start on my notes. We're not going to get very far today, but let me start getting on with what we've got to say. You know what the overall takeaway from 1 Timothy chapter 3 is? Order. It's order. Look at it. A bishop then must be, number one, blameless. Got to be blameless. Don't you reckon that requires some order? He's got to be the husband of one wife. How much disorder would you have if you had more than one wife? How much, order, how much disorder do you have with just one? No, I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. Fellas. Hmm? How, look at Abraham and uh, Sarah and Hagar. You, I, it not just disorder then. It's disorder now. The descendants of Abraham and Sarah and the descendants of Abraham and Hagar are still fighting each other. And they will until the Lord comes back and wipes out the descendants of Abraham and Hagar. God's going to have to fix it. Vigilant, sober, good behavior. We'll go through all of these because there's good stuff in here. Uh, it's all good stuff. I, I hesitate to say good stuff. That sounds a little irreverent. It's wonderful, 
wonderful things. Uh, given to hospitality, apt to teach, given, not given to wine, no, no striker, not, given to, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler. You can't, you can't love the fight. You can't be a fighter and be a pastor. Sorry, Brother Mark. Some of you folks don't know Brother Mark, but you will if you hang around until January. Brother Mark's a blessing. He said he still loves to fight. I still, I still, man, I still get tickled. Somebody told me the other day, it, I just love the feeling of getting my hands around somebody's goozle. Boy, I about wet my pants. I laugh so hard. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Amen. I know some of you still hung up on not putting your trash in the floor in the church. I don't care. I don't care if it makes you mad. You know what I realized? I don't have to go home with you. That's right. Your, your spouse can deal with it. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Have, just about have to, have to recover from that. One that ruleth well his own house. That's important. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. That's important. For if a man know not how to rule. See, the overall thing that you go through over and over again is order. You've got to have order. Order. Overall takeaway is a sense of order. If the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, if that's her focus, then her officers. And it's not just bishops here in this text. It's deacons. There's deacons on down there. Look, look down here in verse 10, uh, 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. See, that, that garbage about a preacher standing up, I don't know anybody that's blameless. Well, then you don't have any business putting anybody in as a deacon. If nobody can be blameless, then nobody can be a deacon. And blameless is not sinlessness, by the way. Not going to get into that this morning, but that's part of what the problem is. People don't know how to define words because they're not reading the scripture. We'll we'll deal with that here in a little while. But so so the overall well overall theme of the church is if it's the pillar and ground of the truth, then its officers have to be if, they're, if the officers are going to put the church in order, which we'll get to here in a second, then they have to be in order themselves. Uh, one of the most helpful pieces of instruction that I ever got, didn't get any verse with this, but I know it's true, is that the, the, the congregation is never going to rise any higher than the pulpit. Whoever's standing up here on a regular basis pouring out whatever he's ministering, that congregation is going to reflect what they're being fed. And what they're being fed is going to be determined by the character of the man that's up here. And so you think when a preacher gets up here and rakes you over the coals about whatever you might be doing wrong, some folks enjoy it, some folks absolutely despise it, but you think he's doing that to be bad. What you don't know is how God is raking him over the coals behind the scenes. Because he recognizes places that he's not even touching yet. He's not even preaching about, but he recognizes places, not just me, any preacher that's got half a lick of sense. He recognizes places where he's got his own shortcomings. And he's trying to get that stuff right while he's trying to minister to you to help you get right. Uh, 
See, it's not, it's not just a one-way street. That fellow's, that pastor has got a personal relationship with God. That pastor has to keep himself right. And listen, let me, let me say this. When you start ministering to people on a regular basis and you begin to get the kickback from folks that you get, sometimes it becomes very difficult to keep your mind right. It really does. Sometimes you want to get bitter. Sometimes you want to sit back and say, well, man, maybe I'm not doing this right. No, you're doing it right. It's just the rebels. Not everybody. Not everybody. It's like that in any church. It doesn't matter what church you go to. There usually, usually, there's a group of folks that, yeah, praise the Lord. And then there might be one or two or 50 that are in there and just, they don't have to do that with their face, but that's the attitude. And every once in a while it just pops out. Well, okay, shrug your shoulders and keep preaching. That's what you've got to do. That's what a pastor's called to do. And so the overall takeaway is a sense of order. God's character did not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God didn't say, I like order in the Old Testament, and now that it's the New Testament, it's entirely by grace, and therefore order is not necessary. That is not what God did. I don't care what your favorite preacher says. I don't care what Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen's been telling you all this week. I don't care. It makes no difference. They're wrong. They're false prophets. And you're just as foolish for listening to those dipsticks. Quit listening to them. Quit listening to John Hagee. He ain't got no sense. Leave that mess alone. Open your Bible. Find a preacher that'll point his finger in your face and say, hey, you're not doing that right. This is the way that it needs to be done. And listen to that guy. Amen. Amen. That's right. We'll get to that here in a second. But God's character didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You can find the order of God heavily in the administration of the tabernacle. It, listen, if it wasn't put in the Bible and Moses was talking and he didn't say, the Lord said, blah, et cetera, et cetera, you'd think Moses was getting orders from his wife with how particular things are. That was supposed to be a joke. It didn't come out very good. Just little nagging here and there and nitpicking things it seemed like. And so you look at, if that was coming from your wife, you'd, oh, here we go again. Of course, if some of you had the guts that you need, you'd look at her and say, hey, shut up. Maybe you wouldn't say it in those terms. Maybe not. But maybe some of you need to do that. It might be about time for you to do that. But nonetheless... You see how quiet it gets? That's why she talks when she ain't got no business talking. Nonetheless, you get into a situation and here's this order in the Old Testament and God says, this is the way that I want it done. This is how I want it handled. This is the way I want it done. This is how I want it handled. And you'd sit back if you didn't know any better and you'd think, This is a tyrant that I'm dealing with, but he's not a tyrant. You know why God is so particular? Because he's holy. And so when you're dealing with holy things, they're things that have to be put in order. When you're dealing with a holy God, you don't just put on blue jeans and a t-shirt and march into the holy of holies without a blood sacrifice. Somebody's going to be trying to put a shepherd's hook in there and grab you by the seat of the britches and pull you out because you're going to be dead. Do you understand that concept? And so when you come to the local New Testament church, when you come to the body of Christ, 
you're still dealing with that holy God. And therefore, things have to be in order. Grace, grace, grace. Grace is God's reason for not killing you when you transgress against His order. That's not a reason for you to skylark across that order. That's a, that's a motive. That's a reason for you to say, Oh, man, i got to get that right. I believe it was Hezekiah, if I remember correctly. Hezekiah might have been Josiah. I don't remember who it was, but in the Old Testament... The, the law of God written on scrolls and it had got put away. It is starting to collect dust somewhere. And somewhere one of the priests or somebody, one of the scribes, found these scrolls that had the law of Moses written in them. And they brought them out and they read them. And they said, oh, buddy, we're in trouble. And they brought it to the king and they said, hey, we found the law of Moses. This is the law of God that he gave to Moses. And they brought it out and they read it to the king. And the king rent his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and he proclaimed a fast and said, Hey, we better get right with God and ask God for mercy. Well, see, the thing that I'm trying to get across to you out of that is the idea that just because God hadn't brought down the hammer yet, that didn't mean that God was satisfied with their whatever. Just because God hasn't broken your legs yet because you won't come to church on Wednesday night doesn't mean that he won't. It just means that he hasn't yet. You really believe God would do that? I don't know. He'd done worse. I don't think God would do that. That's because you don't know God. I don't care what your favorite preacher says. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. That's the God you're dealing with. You want to take your life and let it get out of order, God will handle it. No preacher has to stand up here and be a tyrant and make you come to church on Wednesday night. Get over yourself. I ain't going to have no preacher telling me what to do. I know. I know. Help yourself. Let God deal with it. Just let let the Lord deal with it. But it's not going to stop me from preaching, by the way. I'm going to keep telling you that it's wrong. But nonetheless, I forgot where I was at. Yeah. Anyways, God's a God of order. The order pointed to God's holiness. The things in the tabernacle were holy. They were holy. Now you take whatever attitude you want to take, but when I come into this building, because the, the God that we're serving in this building is holy, I look at these things in here as clean. This is not a place for kids to come and run. My kids do that every once in a while, and I pull them off to the side and threaten to choke them, just choke their life out. You say, would you do that? Probably not. Probably. Probably not. But I'm going to make them think that I will. You say, why? Because that's the God that you're dealing with. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the problem is, Brother Pedro. A lot of folks have left that behind. They've left that concept of instilling into their kids, hey, this is a holy place. It's just a building. No, it's a holy place because it's a holy God. And so your kids have no reverence for anything that has to do with God. You say it's just a building of brick and mortar. In a technical sense, I understand that. I get it. But there has to be something registering in that, that kid's mind that, hey, this is different. We're getting, to go, getting ready to go into a place that's just not the same as my living room where I've been cutting a rug and acting like the devil. And listen, let me say this while we're, while we're there. I had to deal with a situation on Wednesday night. Some folks came in, and 
I, really, I, I basically just told them, you need to get back here in the nursery, take your kids to the nursery, and made them mad they picked up their bags and left. And let me just give you my disposition on that. I, I do feel a little bad about that. But what I feel bad about is that I know that they could have got some help if they'd stuck around. But I do not feel bad that you let your kids get into such a state of mind and you live for so long in such a way to where you don't know how to behave yourself in church that I have to call it out and say, hey, that's enough. I don't feel bad about that. That's not my fault. And if you, you want to side with them, help yourself, not me. Some, listen to me. You've got a routine when you go to bed. At least I, I hope. Maybe some of you go to bed whenever you feel like it. I got a routine when I go to bed. You know, I try to get in bed by a certain time. Now that I've been pastoring, that's kind of been blown out of the water. But nonetheless, I got a certain time I like to get in bed, certain time I like to get up. If I was in my bed at 10 o'clock at night, and that's what I've been doing for the last five years, every night in bed by 10 o'clock and I'm asleep by 10.30. If somebody came in at 11 o'clock at night and started making a bunch of noise, I would not be happy about that and neither would you. Well, there's an order that's been established here. And when somebody comes in and, and foils that order, it's not my fault that you get your feelings hurt when I look at you and say, shh. And if you can't shh, take your kids back there. Amen. That, that's the right way to look at it. I guarantee you this, you wouldn't get down here in the county courthouse and stand before the judge and carry on that way. I'll tell you why you get upset about a preacher calling that out and not them, because you've got more reverence for the judge than you do for your God. Shut your mouth. Just sh shut up. Nobody's interested in hearing what you've got to say about how a church should be run. You don't know. You don't know! One more time. One more time. Because it's true. It's true. You want to get upset about that? Find you a church where you can let your kids or let somebody else's kids do whatever they want to do. Amen. That's right. You know, there's folks sitting in this building, there's folks sitting in here Wednesday night that drove 30, 45 minutes to come and hear something from the Word of God. And I'm going to let somebody sit in this building and foil that for everybody else. That's not, that's not, that's not equitable. The truth has fallen. We looked at it on Wednesday night, Isaiah church is the pillar and ground of truth. God hands out its truth, and it rests on the church. Well, when the church lets that truth down, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, truth has fallen into the streets, and equity cannot enter. Equity is the impartial distribution of justice. It's just regardless of whether you're white or black or male or female, a church member or, or a visitor. It's, just, it's justice without regard whether you're my buddy or not. That's equity. Okay, so then it's right, it's right to look at the rest of the folks that are here and say, you know what, these people didn't come to hear, hear some kids hollering and screaming the whole time. Hey, y'all go. If you can't see that, you need your head examined. 
God's not interested in you violating his order. God's got a way that he has things set up, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God's got, God's, and, and listen, God's zealous. God is zealous over his order. God killed a man. God killed a man in the Old Testament because David didn't have the ark of God carried the right way. It got somebody killed. Well, it's just grace. It's just grace. It's just grace. You're using God's grace for the means of lasciviousness. You're not interested in in doing right. You're interested in doing what you want and then having the sanction of God on it. And you ain't going to get it, honey. No, sir, you sure ain't. You're not going to do what you want and then then expect the Lord to bless whatever you're doing. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at some scripture. 1 Corinthians 12. God does grant some latitude in church administration. He sure does. But he never grants that latitude. He never grants that, that... leeway, so to speak, to the violation of order. You understand that? God says, this is the way that I want it set up. So long as it's run this way, okay, you've got liberty to make decisions within those bounds. You get outside of those bounds, you don't have permission to do that. You understand that concept? And so when Brother Mike pastors this church, he may do some things a particular way. When I pastor this church, I do things perhaps another way. But at the end of the day, there is a common thread. There's a thing that runs the truth. That's the thing that runs through. There's a, there's a scarlet thread that runs through both administrations. You say, why? Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Right? But what I want to show you is that there is a difference of administrations. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look in verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And he discusses those gifts here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And a lot of material loaded in chapter 12. I'd love to go through it all this morning, but don't have the time for the sake of what we're dealing with this morning. But... God doesn't give to every man the same gift. And that doesn't, that, what that does not do is it doesn't make one member of the body better than the other. What it actually does is it makes one member of the body be in a position to where he can't do without the other member of the body. If I've got something that is an, a source of edification to the body of Christ, then in a sense, you need me. You understand that concept? If you have something that's an edification to the body, then I need you. So what God's done by taking his gifts and splitting them up among the people in the church is God has made that thing to where, hey, we need each other. That's what we do. We edify ourselves. In a sense, we edify ourselves. And so we need the gift that you have that you're able to offer us. Now, having said that, let me balance that out and say this. You're not indispensable. In a sense, God doesn't need you. If you don't want to participate with your gift, God will find somebody else. Amen, that's true. But anyways, verse, verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There's the same spirits behind all those gifts. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Now, see, what we're going to do is, you know, you got one pastor who does things a particular way and another pastor does things another way, 
but the place that's got to be true about both of those pastors is they've got to be driving to the same place. They've got to be trying to disciple the folks in their congregation to the same person, Jesus Christ. You're not going to do that without the truth. I am the way, Christ said. I am the way, the... Okay, then you've got to have the truth. You've got to have the book. They go together. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Boy, I didn't get very far in all this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look in verse 27. He's talking about folks in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about people speaking in tongues. And tongues is not an unknown language. It's not something that nobody knows about. It's, it's a language. It's Spanish, German, Swahili. Uh, you look in the front of some of your Bibles, you may not have it, but the introduction to your King James Bible, it says... Uh, I think it's something to the effect of dedicated to the king of Great Britain. Here, here it is. Translated, the Holy Bible containing the Old and New Testaments translated out of the original tongues. Well, see, that's, that's a language that somebody understood. So when somebody speaks in tongues, it's something that somebody can understand somewhere down here. It's not hasla shandai, antai, botai, handai, handai, whatever. That's not what it is. You say, well, I've been raised that way. Well, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. It's just, it's not right. And if you stick around for long enough, we'll run over that stuff. We'll, we'll take the scripture and show that to you. But nonetheless, that's not what it is. So he says, if any man speak. Now, if you're going to speak in tongues, listen. If you're going to speak in tongues, you get the order of speaking in tongues from 1 Corinthians 14. If you're going to do it in a church service, this is how you do it. You ready? Okay, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most, by three, and that by course. When you go to college, you take courses. You say, what is that? That's subjects of study, one at a time. You don't sit in a classroom and learn biology, chemistry, physics, etc., etc., all together. They, they relate. One instructor might teach something that spans over all of those things, but he's got a concentrated field of study. He's going one way. So that by course means one person at a time. You know, speaking tongues, one at a time. Speaking tongues, one at a time. Speaking tongues, one at a time. Three's enough. That's what he says. All this stuff where 15 people are speaking all at the same time, that's not order. Listen, we don't have to go through the scripture and show you what tongues is all about as far as it's a different language. All we've got to just appeal to is the fact that the way that it's being done nowadays, predominantly, is just out of order. It's just chaos. Well, look here, verse, verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if nobody is able to tell the rest of the congregation what you're saying in another tongue, if there's no interpreter, just shut your mouth. Why? Because it's not a source of edification to anybody. You're just making a scene. That's all it is. That's all it is. Uh, did anybody understand what I just said? Okay, then all I did was I made myself look like a fool and I embarrassed the rest of the congregation. Shh. Just stop. Some people speak in English and still don't know what they said, and you still can't understand them. Some preachers get up and preach, and it's, what was that? 
think I preached a couple of those sermons. Got down and said, what was my point again? That's not good. That's not good. That's not order. Amen. Amen. Make sure your sermons ain't like that. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. Okay, so you know what the purpose of order in the church is for? You know why Paul's giving out these rules for speaking in tongues and prophesying? You know why he's doing that? So that people can learn. You know what's destroyed the educational system? It's not evolution. That, that did a big part of it. You know what destroyed the evolution? The disruption of the classroom and the government sanction on the disruption of the classroom. What they did is they removed the ability of teachers to hold students accountable for their actions. Now, listen, I'm not crazy about somebody that's not their parents. I'm not crazy about somebody whooping somebody's kids that, you know, they're not their parents. I'm not crazy about that. But I'll tell you what, when that was going on, when that kind of stuff was going on, when they were going down here to Charlton uh, High School and they were whooping your kids because they wouldn't shut their mouth, there was a lot more learning going on. And now you've got subjects that are of a higher degree, algebra, geometry, pre-calculus, and kids are coming out dumber than ever. You say, why? Because they can't pay attention. I can't hear the teacher because I got this moron sitting over here who won't shut up. That's right. Oh, he's going to whoop my baby boy. He needs to be whooped because you wouldn't whoop him. Now he won't shut up in the classroom. And now he's not just hurting himself, he's hurting everybody else. So what you do is you get into a place when you have a teacher, you get into a place and say, these are the rules. When you get into a classroom, you open a little Christian school, and you have a classroom, and you say, if you talk, you get a demerit. You get three demerits, we're going to beat the daylights out of you, and then call your parents, and they're going to beat the daylights out of you. When we start a Christian school, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to whoop any kids. Bad legal problems these days. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and let some spoiled brat be an idiot and disrupt the rest of the classroom. Had a fella, I don't remember if y'all, I don't know if y'all remember this. A fella came in one Sunday morning and walked into the, through the back door and started coming through here while Brother Mike was teaching Sunday school, right in the middle of while he's teaching Sunday school, and started greeting people and shaking hands. And Brother Mike was reading his text, and I remember, I remember listening. I think I was sitting right there. I remember looking up, and Brother Mike looked up, and he said, Hey, hey, what, what are you doing? He said, Well, I'm, I'm greeting people. He said, Not while I'm teaching a Sunday school class, you ain't. You should have been here at 10 o'clock. Well, right in the middle of Sunday school. I can't. I can't greet people. I mean, I've always done that in my church. Brother Mike said, well, I don't care. Stormed out and left. What you do as far as your little traditions makes no difference if you're going to disrupt the rest of the church. Shut up. Sorry. I'm glad all the little kids are out of here because shut up's a bad word, ain't it? Brother Danny Farley said his wife told him the two things you're not allowed to say from the pulpit is shut up and don't call people stupid. He said all these mothers in here got all these little kids 
They're trying to teach their kids how to be nice. Don't say shut up. Don't say stupid. So he got a message together, and it was called Shut Up, Stupid. <laughs> nice little preacher, obedient to his wife, huh? Anyways, that was pretty funny. But see, it's, it's order. God sets things up because, so that all can, be, all, that, all can learn. Sometimes the problem why people can't learn is because the teaching's bad. Boy, I've got to stop. The teaching's bad. Sometimes it's because the students have no interest in what's being taught. But sometimes it's not either. Sometimes it's just because there's a distraction. And you've got to deal with it. You've, you've got to deal with it. In the case of a church, what you do is you preach the truth and then trust God to deal with it. Amen. Amen. Well, we didn't get through all of 1 Corinthians 14, so we'll, we'll pick up there next time. All right, Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning. God, pray that you'd help us, Lord, in the morning service. God, pray that you'd speak to hearts and deal with us, God, Lord, the folks that might come in, God, from visitors, Lord, from other places, God, our own members. God, pray that you'd help them, Lord, touch them and deal with them, and we'll thank you for it. God, thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for the Spirit of God, Lord, we pray. Help us, Lord, to be obedient and submitted to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.